Good evening, everybody. Lovely to see you. So, as Chris said, our last service before Christmas. And tonight we are looking at the second half of Zechariah's song. Last week we heard Zechariah singing about the fulfilment of God's promises. Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, the Lord himself would come in power to rescue and redeem us so we could serve God without fear and in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Fantastic. A wonderful, wonderful few verses. It's on the website if you weren't here last week. Tonight we're going to hear Zechariah singing over his son, who is to grow up and become John the Baptist. And this part of the song is full of Old Testament references, which is why I gave Chris such an enormous long list of readings for this service. I found with the Bible that there are a few Old Testament passages that are really crucial, and they support the rest of the story. And so if you get really familiar with those few passages, the whole of Scripture starts to really come alive. Thinking about the creation and the commissioning of man, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and Genesis 1, 26 to 28, the creation of man in Genesis 2, verse 7, the promises to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and chapter 15 and chapter 17 and chapter 22, the revelation of God and the commissioning of Israel in Exodus 3, 13 to 15 and 19, 5 to 6, the promise to King David of a Messiah in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 16, the way Isaiah speaks about the good news, the gospel, in chapter 40, 52 and 53, and 61. The great promises of covenant renewal, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, Ezekiel 36, 22 to 27. And if you spend time reading and exploring and meditating on those passages, and if you have just a very basic idea of the storyline of the Old Testament, but I find the Old Testament and the whole Bible just comes alive and you find yourself right in the middle of it. Zechariah this evening is singing prophetically over his son, John the Baptist. So what was going on here? God was speaking to Zechariah. God was bringing scriptures to his mind and giving him faith that those scriptures were really important for his child. <clears throat> Friends, God speaks. Some people in church history have tried to say that God speaking directly to us was a temporary thing until the Bible was finished. And now we've got the Bible, God doesn't speak anymore. Hmm. The Bible certainly does not say that. God is not on mute. God wants to speak to us. 
and we need to hear him. Now obviously there's a very real danger that when we talk about subjectively hearing the voice of God, we mishear stuff, because we do. We mishear stuff. But I think there's a much greater danger in not learning to listen to him well at all. The trick is we have to learn humbly together and be willing to discern God's voice together. So I'd love for this church to be a safe place where we feel safe to humbly share when we think God is speaking to us and to be able to test it and weigh it together. Okay, that said, let's dive into our passage. Here we go, verse 76. Would you like to read the first half of verse 76 together with me down to the Most High? So page 1027. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Amen. A prophet's job description is to speak God's words into a particular situation. 400 years earlier, God had spoken through the prophet of Amos, and he said there was going to be a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. And he was right. No prophet of God spoke for four centuries. Can you imagine? This people, this people of Israel, were a people who hung on God's every word. And there was complete silence for about 20 generations. And then suddenly, Zechariah begins to sing of his son's prophetic call. And he sings this song of his vocation, and it is also a death sentence. The ancient world was full of gods, just as our world is full of gods. But there is only one most high God. There is only one true, real God, the creator, the Lord of all. And all of the other gods that seek to be rivals of the most high God don't appreciate being called out as false gods. And so the call of a prophet is to suffer. But now the one true God the Most High God is speaking. And no more important words have ever been uttered and written down and spoken and read than the words of Scripture. How we need to listen to these words and build our lives upon them. Okay, let's look at the next bit of verse 76. Let's read it together. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. As Zechariah sung over his son, the Lord drew his mind to scriptures that he would have memorized from childhood, from Isaiah and Malachi. Here from Isaiah 40, 3 to 5. A voice of one calling in the desert 
Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The prophetic calling is to prepare the way for the Lord so that he may be revealed to the world. What it was going to mean for John the Baptist was challenging sin and calling people to repentance. And this prophetic ministry starts with the church. The church has to be cleansed if we're going to be filled with the Spirit and reveal God to the world. I believe that's one of the reasons that our building project got so complicated. God is exposing things. God is bringing things out of the darkness and into the light so he can deal with them. The prophetic challenges and calls out sin to repair the way for the Lord. Let's carry on and look at the next phrase, which is the first half of verse 77. No, it's all of verse 77. Let's read that together. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. So, Zechariah is singing over his newborn child. God draws his mind to remember Jeremiah's promise of covenant renewal. John's prophetic ministry would prepare the people for God's new covenant. And Jeremiah saw really clearly that crucial to this new covenant was going to be the forgiveness of sins. Now, forgiveness is a part of salvation, But salvation is much bigger than forgiveness. God intends to so transform our hearts and our minds that our lives will perfectly reflect the heart and mind of Jesus for all eternity. That's salvation. That's quite a big deal, isn't it? For all eternity, I will reflect Jesus into the creation. That's what God is calling us to in salvation. That's a really big deal. And forgiveness is just the start. But forgiveness has to be the start. Because our lives are only going to be transformed if we have a living connection to the living God. Isaiah 59 tells us that our sin cuts us off from God. And so forgiveness is crucial if we're to be reconnected to God again. And forgiveness, of course, is possible, as we've just sung, because Jesus has taken our sin upon himself and judged at the cross. So the prophetic ministry confronts us with our sin 
And it directs us to God for, for forgiveness so we can reconnect with the true source of our life. The gospel lays a foundation of forgiveness because forgiveness reconnects us with the wellspring from which our whole life flows. Next verse, 20, uh, sorry, 78. Let's read that together. Because of the tender mercies of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. So, the Spirit draws Zechariah's thoughts to what would have been for him the end of Scripture, Malachi chapter 4. Now, last week, we looked at the first half of Zechariah's song, and we saw that if salvation was a coin, one side of the coin is salvation, and the other side of the coin is judgment. This passage from Malachi puts judgment and mercy back to back. Last week, we talked about if we're going to be saved from sin, our sin must be judged, because the judging of sin is what sets us free from it. If we're willing to let go of our sin, then Jesus offers to take all of the judgment for our sin on himself. But of course, if we cling on to our sin, then we pull God's judgment down upon ourselves. The prophetic word warns us, and it's a sober and it's a serious warning, to release our sin to Jesus so he can take it away and transform us. But look how richly the prophets paint the picture for any good reach out for God's mercy. Malachi 4 verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. It's dark cold in winter and when the sun breaks through the clouds it's a wonderful thing isn't it for the broken for the burnt out for the weary for me here's an offer of renewal and healing has anybody seen the Lindisfarne Gospels they're currently on show at the Lang Art Gallery has anyone been to see them a few of us they're a stunning work of art mind-blowing in their beauty and their intricacy, all, all painted by just one guy. And the richness of the art reflects and mirrors the richness of the words that they record. So the prophet doesn't just say, God will judge our sin and offer mercy to those who seek him. The prophet paints this vivid, bold picture and calls us to respond. For you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. How I need that, how we need that. So we have this brief sojourn in Malachi, and then the Spirit led Zechariah back to Isaiah again. Verse 79, first half of verse 79. 
to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. Amen. This is the famous prophecy of Jesus from Isaiah 9 that Handel used so centrally in his Messiah. Isaiah 9, which Monica read for us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The heart of the prophetic call is to paint the awful blackness of the darkness around us. But in the midst of the darkness, to declare that God's light has broken in, in the person of Jesus. Tragedy will not have the last word. Dictators will not have the last word. Sickness will not have the last word. Racists will not have the last word. Poverty will not have the last word. Climate change will not have the last word. Politicians, praise God, will not have the last word. Death will not have the last word because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and he is Lord over all. Jesus Christ rules over all. Jesus Christ, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness does not understand and cannot overcome. Jesus, the name at which every knee will bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the one who is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus, the one who has overcome the world and sin and evil and death. Jesus, the one who sits at the Father's right hand and is making everything new. Jesus, the Word who was with God and is God. Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. This is the Jesus to whom all true prophets point. And finally, the Lord led Zechariah back to the gospel in Isaiah. Let's read the second half of verse 79. To guide our feet into the paths of peace. Isaiah 52, 7, which again was read for us, says this. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring you news, who proclaim peace, who proclaim good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The word here, good news, glad tidings, is the same word we use that becomes in the New Testament, gospel. In the ancient world, it was the announcement that a king had defeated his enemies and so there was peace in his name. Jesus Christ has defeated sin and evil and death. So now there is peace in his name. 
The word translated peace here is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is a huge word in Hebrew. It can mean everything from at one end high all the way through kind of peace, all the way to wholeness. So imagine I take a mug and I drop it and it falls on the floor and it smashes into lots of pieces. And I go and find my glue and I glue it all back together. That's not shalom. But if you imagine that mug can be remade such that it was just as it was when it was brand new, that's shalom. That's what Jesus is doing with me. Not just gluing me back together, but renewing me such that it was like I'd never been broken in the first place. That's what God is doing with this whole world, making everything, not glued back together, making everything new. When Jesus comes again and raises the dead and throws sin and evil and death out of his world, then the glory of God will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is the sure and certain and definite destiny to which all of history is heading. One other thing about that I verse, as I 52, 7, who proclaims salvation? Does anyone know what the Hebrew word for salvation is there? Yeshua. Yeshua. So if you're a Hebrew reading this, every time you come to the word salvation, you come to the name Jesus. How is all this going to happen? Through Jesus. That is the final job of the prophet. We are never going to find heaven on earth this side of the return of Jesus. Some things will get fixed. Some things will get temporarily stuck back together. Some things will remain stubbornly broken. But one day, he will come again. And beyond judgment, everything that we've longed for and hoped for and dared to dream will finally be realised. The prophet warns us against idols that offer us everything now. The prophet calls us to let go of the things that we cling on to here and now and put our hope in the promises of God and to live now in light of the glorious destiny to which our Heavenly Father is calling us. That is the calling and vocation of Zechariah was singing over his little baby boy. So Zechariah was singing his son's vocation over him, the prophetic call. A call to challenge the world about our false gods. A call to point the world to the mercy and salvation of our creator. A call to name the world's darkness. And against that backdrop to paint the person of Jesus. A call for us to lay hold of his mercy so that the sun may rise with healing in its wings. God calls us to forsake sin and return to him, the wellspring of our true life. John the Baptist was called to be a prophet. Zechariah was not called to be a prophet. 
Zechariah was called to be a priest. And yet, Zechariah still had to prophesy. This message of sin and of the mercy and salvation of God is a message that the whole world must hear. And each of us has a responsibility to hold up Jesus as the answer to the deepest pain of the world. We may or may not be called to a prophetic ministry. We are all called to declare the wonder of Jesus. Who needs to hear about Jesus from us this Christmas? Let's pray. Jesus, you are more wonderful than words can say. How we love you. Will you recapture our hearts and loosen our tongues that like the angels we might sing of the wonder of who you are over our town, over our family, over our friends, over those you bring into the part of our life. Be honoured, Lord, and release in us words that honour you. In Jesus' name, amen.